Thank you for listening to Gateway Church's Sermon of the Week with Senior Pastor Chris Monahan. For more resources, go to www.igateway.org. Everyone, let's go ahead and end those conversations. We are, um, we are talking about hope. How many realized they were a little hope deficient? They needed to see their hope dealer and get, get a little, you had a little hope deficiency and you needed some hope in this season. How many know that, that the, mon, the one who has the most hope has the most influence? Come on, how many know that's true? You have hope, you have influence. And so if we are as Christians, we're just angry or we're depressed or we're down, we're not walking in the authority that hope gives us. Bible says it's faith, hope, and love. So hope is a confident, joyful expectation of good. Hope is a, is a joyful, confident expectation of good. Now that doesn't mean we stick our head in the sand and we don't put ourselves in difficult situations, but we know that God is a good God and we have hope in his plan and his justice and we have hope that he wants to use you and I to bring heaven to earth. How many know you're in your church motto is full of heaven and down to earth? We want you to be full of heaven's power, but we want you to be very down to earth too so you don't scare people off. How many have ever been to, to spooky charismatic church before? <laughs> Fruity, nutty, and flaky works really good in cereal. And listen, I, I know when God moves, sometimes odd things happen, and I'm not against that. I mean, there's, there's been some, I've seen some crazy stuff happen. In, and I've, it's, it's awesome, and it's amazing. It just has to be from the Holy Spirit, if you know what I mean. People say, we're spirit-filled. I said, what's spirit? So it's important that we do that. But I want to talk today about the new year and how... One of the mistakes I think we make sometimes is that we love, we love new. Everybody loves new. That's one of the first things we, we, we just, we like the new things, but there can be a danger that if we're always going after the new, we're not faithful with what God's already given us. How many know there's some good Hershey's chocolate syrup just at the bottom of your soul right now that just needs to be stirred up, right? Can I stir you up a little bit this morning? It's called encouragement. There's some people in your life. You know, when I was, we were having a time of prayer here one morning with our leaders. And one of our leaders, as he was coming here, it was like early morning. He, um, shame on him, terrible, but he missed the exit. And, and so he was late. And he, like he showed up. And when you miss the exit on 153 going toward Ohio, you're like super late. They don't let you turn around. There's no mercy. And so he gets in here, and he was just, you could tell, he had, he had the look of shame, you know, like the dog who just did something wrong. And, and of course, as your pastor, I shamed him, and, you know, no, I didn't. Of course not, you know. But when I saw him, it's like, it, I, I knew what he was feeling, so I went over and put my hands on him, and, and man, the Lord just gave me this supernatural revelation when I touched him. And I was like, bro, no, you're here at the right time and the right place. And he showed me, he showed me a knife, a fork, and a spoon. And he just began to show me this revelation of how to deal with people. He said some people, the fork represents 
teaching. It represents feeding. Some people, we need, like our children, we need to teach our children the ways of God. So, and then the spoon is like the encouragement. Some people just need encouragement. And as a church, we're teaching and we're encouraging and we're teaching and encouraging. But how many know the least used piece of silverware on your table is the knife? But it's unfortunately, that's a lot of people's only, only fork. That's the only utensil they use. It's like, we're just going to cut that off, you know? Some people don't know because they've never been taught. Some people aren't doing what they're called to do because they really just need some encouragement. But we have to be discerning. There are times, trust me, how many know your pastor's not afraid to cut some things off? We're not afraid to deal with some things. Someone comes here to our church and lies to us and tells us they're married to this woman they're not married to. We're going to expose you. We will not be nice about it. If you don't repent, because the church needs to gain trust again. But the main utensils you use is teaching. Let's teach one another. Well, if you don't know how to do it, let me teach you. Let me feed you. Let me stir you up. Let me encourage you. But how many know that you and I, we need to be people of hope. We need to be people that aren't just seeking after the new, but we're stirring those things up. And there's a scripture in Matthew 13, 52. It says, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his store, storeroom new treasures as well as old. So we're going after the new. Behold, I will do a new thing. That's something you hear every new year. But let's remember the treasures of old that have been imparted into you that need to be stirred up and remembered. There's a danger that we get addicted to the new stuff and we put aside the old things. How many of those, there's amazing, you have amazing history. There is, there's a root inside of you that needs to be fed. Like you're rooted in Christ. You have been faithful to God. You have a history with God. I pull on that for my present. Sometimes I find people, they're always looking for the new and they just are lost. They're not grounded in their life. When I first started to serve in ministry, I remember when I would serve in ministry, I, because I, I, have, I have some gifts, I have some talents, you know, good looks and, you know, talents like that, you know what I mean, hum, humility. No, but, you know, I can play guitar, I can sing, I'm okay, I'm doing pretty good, you know, and people would be wowed. But then I would find that once people got to know me a little bit, the, the wow level kind of goes down a little bit. How many have found that? Like, ooh, you're all sparkly and new. Ooh, you're so awesome. You're... And then after a while, the sparkly and new thing, would... are you guys with me? Am I making sense? Right? And the Lord began to convict me. He says, well, that doesn't motivate you whether you stay or go. That doesn't motivate you. It's not people that, oh, you're so sparkly new. We like you. That wears off. You're here because you're out of obedience to me. And so there's a danger about always looking for the new. I've seen people that they, they actually lose their way in life because it's always about the new and the sparkly. And I know I'm supposed to be talking about the new in this season. <laughs> but I don't want you to become over addicted to the new because there's some things inside of you. Some Hershey chocolate syrup. Stir it up. Stir it up. Come on, let's just stir it up. Just go ahead. Get your, get your hand. Just come on, stir up that chocolate. All right. So be aware of an addiction to the new. We need to bring out the treasures of old and new. That's what God's calling us in this season. Yeah. 
We need to bring out those treasures. I love what 1 John 2, 7 says. It says, Behold, I'm writing you no new commandment. Well, I'm not going to read the rest of that. I like new. What are you talking about, John? But an old commandment. Oh, we don't like the old, John. We want the new stuff, right? Because we're Americans. We want it new. But what's he say? I'm giving you an old commandment. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. And he says, it is a new commandment, that, not a new commandment that I'm writing you, which is true and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And he's talking about love. He's talking about loving one another. He's talking about love, showing love to your brother and showing love to God. These are truths. They may not seem new, but we can revisit these truths once again. Ephesians 3.17, he says, I pray you being rooted and established in love. How many know we need to be rooted in that love in 2024? We need to be pursuing the new things that God's doing. But we can't lose what keeps us grounded. I always tell the story about the time I hooked up the dishwasher in my house and I didn't ground it right. How many know washing our dishes became a shocking experience? Right? <laughs> Because it wasn't grounded. And there's too much in the church today that people are getting shocked instead of empowered. Come on, I'm going to be honest. It's because we're not grounded. We're not grounded in love. We're not pressing in like, I'm working on me. I don't know about you. I am so free because I know that my job is to work on me and work hard on me. I can't change my wife. I sure as heck can't change you guys. So I just need to work on me, and I become the best me I can be, and that's what brings change to the people around us. Come on, you're going to get free today because you don't have to change anybody. You just change yourself, and that's a hard job right there. I, if I change myself, it's a good day. I still, trying to change me is like not having power steering fluid in your, in your steering wheel. You know, I'm kind of stubborn sometimes. So... We look in the new, there's some new things that God is, that God is doing, but there is also the old, and we have to continue because our society today is going after everything new. We're, what they're trying to do is trying to erase our past and so that we forget who we are, we forget the history that is behind us. You know, almost every college Every school, every university, every hospital was founded by Christian people who loved God. You don't know that. Most of us don't know us that Harvard was a seminary. Yale was a seminary trading people for the gospel. You don't think that anymore. You talk about Hamas hiding in schools. We just think they're hiding in schools in Gaza Strip, but they're hiding in Harvard and Yale. Our school, they've wiped away the history. We've forgotten the old. We've forgotten our history. We've forgotten who we are. And we can pull from those roots. We can pull from those resources. You know, we live in a society today that can't tell the difference between a man and a woman. This is a problem, my friend. Did you know that 1.6% of our nation has decided that they are not going to identify with the sex that they were born with. And it's even greater in, in the, uh, the, the 20 to 30-year-olds. 
Genesis 5, 2, it says male and female, he created them. How many know that? We need to pray for those who are misgendering themselves. We're not the problem. We're not the ones that are misgendering them. They're misgendering themselves. We need to pray for them. We need to pray, well, we need to pray that uh, what's happening right now in Ohio with Governor DeWine. You know, the Bible says, Jesus says, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned into the depths of the sea. Come on, how many know that Jesus said that? He just passed a bill that allows children to have their private parts mutilated. That's sick. That's child abuse. My friend Walt Heyer had one of these surgeries done because his grandmother used to dress him in a red dress and tell him how beautiful he was. And it messed, it turned into a mental illness. And the devastation that this man lives in and the devastation, the ministry he now has to people who regret this decision that they made or that was made for them by their parents. And this sick man has decided to not oppose that. You know, it's time that you and I recognize that we have a conviction on our lives, that we have courage, we walk in the authority that God has given us, and that we learn what it truly means to grieve over the things that are going on, even in our community and our society, so that we act and we do. Ezekiel 9.4, it talks about God speaking to a prophet, Ezekiel, and he says in this vision, he says, go throughout the city of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of those who grieve and lament over all the detestable things that are done. And what this mark did is it actually protected them from the destruction that was coming. Now, when I read that, I first thought, well, it's, it's, he's just marking the people that are actually living right and not doing the detestable things. But no, it's those who grieve and mourn over those things. You hear it goes a lot deeper than just our actions. It's the heart that we carry because these things are going on. Like, I'm not speaking out against these things because I'm mad. I'm speaking out against these things because I'm struck with grief. Because I know what's going on. I know the pain and the destruction that's happening in our community and the children. I've sat with people whose sexual identity has been violated and it's destructive and evil. And I've mourned with them as I walk with them through the healing process. And I'm angry about the injustices that were done because they trusted people that they thought they could trust and they failed. We know this. Me and Deb and many of you here, we've sat with people who've gone through these things. But we need to know what it means to repent. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And Paul's talking to the Corinthians. He's saying, this is what true repentance is. How many know that... The American gospel is a false repentance oftentimes. There's not true change. I'm going to put a picture of, I want to look like this when I grow up. This, I mean, this is, this is what. 
Come on, I'm working on that a little bit. I got my, well, maybe not. But this is Charles Finney. If you've never read of any Charles Finney stuff, when you read his stuff, it will cut through you. Charles Finney, Revival and Religion. And what he says, he says, true repentance is a permanent change of character and conduct. That's true repentance. So people who say I've repented, but they're still saying that living the same way and doing the same things have not truly repented. There has to be a change of character. Does it happen overnight? No. But is it a process that you're aiming toward? We're moving closer to God as we go through this process of repentance. And Paul, he notices there's ten things, or, I, well, maybe not ten, seven. He says, for I see what eagerness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment at every point you have proved yourself innocent in this matter. It's this thing that we're striving to get our souls clean from the things that we've done and the people that we've hurt. We're changing. We're in that process of letting God change us. It's that process that we are working through. There's earnestness. There's eagerness. There's indignation. There's the fear of the Lord. You know what the fear of the Lord is? It's understanding that God is a God who will do what he's saying. He will punish what he was going to punish, and he'll reward what he says he'll reward. He's a rewarder. When you look into the languages, actually, he's a rewarder of both good and bad. Like, for some reason, the word reward, does he reward you for your good deeds and your bad deeds? But it doesn't seem like a reward. So we have to recognize we have to remain in this place of continually, God, I want to have your heart toward what's going on in our community, in our society. I want to grieve for those things. That's called intercession. That's called prayer. But it's also having the courage to stand up and speak out, especially when it's going to cost you. Because most people right now are afraid to speak out because it's going to cost them something. But can I tell you that hard times make great people. And we are... This time is causing a great people to come out. You would never have heard about Moses if Pharaoh was not oppressing the Israelites. Moses would be a nobody. You would never have heard about David if there wasn't a Goliath. And you see this plot that takes place in the scriptures throughout. There's always something that rises up, but greatness is rises up against it. So we have our Goliaths rising up. We have our Pharaohs rising up. It's time for Moses and David and the Esthers to rise up in the season. And that's you and I. Come on. It's a good time. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, it's a good time. Great people are going to rise up. All right. But we have to remember, too. And there, I want to, because I'm, I'm finishing this talk. I have this other book coming out. It's called The Temples of Skin. And. I want to talk today about what it means to carry the presence of God. So I want to warn you about it being addicted to the new, but we don't want to have an induction to the old. We don't want to become traditional. A lot of times there's things that we do, not because God's in it, but because we saw God move in it in the past season. Yeah. 
And there's a danger that happens when we begin to say, well, God moved when we did three hymns in a poem and an altar call. He worked like that back in the 70s, but he's not doing that anymore. He might be, but for some reason we think, well, if we just keep doing the traditional thing, God will move. And so we have to be aware of that danger. Jesus said to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that's why they were sad, you see. You have a fine way of setting aside the commandments of God in order to observe your own traditions. So we never want to set aside obedience and what God's telling us in the now because we have traditions or that's the way we did it. Or churches don't talk about politics. Well, if the politics would stay out of the church, we wouldn't have to talk about it. But let me tell you, God has always wanted to meet with you and I. The first place God met with Adam and Eve was in the Garden of Eden. Did you know the word Eden means bliss? God wants you to have a good time with him. Did you know that? Yeah. People think you get around God and he's all controlling and mean and snarly. and He's smiling. He wants you to have bliss. He wants you to enjoy his presence. He wants you to fully receive his goodness into your life. And so that's the first place he met with Adam and Eve. And then the next place he said, I will meet with you, is this place called the Ark of the Covenant. And this Ark was a, a symbol in the temple made of gold that had these winged angels. They call them the cherubim. And it was like a, a big carton that contained three items. And I want to talk about these three items today. And prior, when, when the Israelites left Egypt, they were in the wilderness, and God wanted to meet with them. So he created this thing called the tabernacle. I think I have a, a picture of the tabernacle up there. And this tabernacle, I need the tabernacle. It's, uh, here we are. This is a picture of the tabernacle. And what they were doing is on the way from Egypt to the promised land, they, were, they had this portable temple. I mean, imagine that we're traveling together. We're, we just left Egypt, and it's like, okay, guys, now God's called us. To, the Spirit's moving down the Connorsville, so we got to break this thing down and move it down the Connorsville. I mean, that's kind of the picture. It was a movable church gathering place that whenever there was a fire by night and a cloud by day, and whenever... The fire moved or the cloud moved. They had to pack up and go. They didn't know whether it was going to be three-day stay or a three-month stay. But they were faithful to follow the move of the Spirit. Does that make sense? Now, what's wild is this tabernacle was made of skin. Everybody say skin. It was a temple of skin. Just like you and I are a temple of skin where he wants to dwell. And so this was built in the wilderness, and it was a 21-day walk from Egypt to the promised land, but a man was driving, so it took 40 years. No, it took a lot longer because they were not willing to go into the promised land. They were cowards. Be aware. 
We're call, God's calling us to step in against some giants and don't have a grasshopper mentality in this season. We're not grasshoppers. We're the new giants in the land because the Lord is with us. He is with us to go into the promised land. So the, the tabernacle that I showed you up there, put that back up if you would. Tabernacle. Here we go. Prior to Solomon's temple made of stone, the tabernacle was a movable temple made of the skins of animals. And what would happen is, is they would set this up, and inside of this place called the Most Holy Place was another room called the Holy of Holies. And in that Holy of Holies, they had what they called the Ark of the Covenant. Now you can bring that up. The Ark of the Covenant was a, like I said, it was a box, and this was the cover. This was called the mercy seat. Everybody say mercy seat. The atonement cover. And what would take place is inside of this box were three items. These three items are very significant. <laughs> and I, I want to read, this is, what, this is what they were. It says, what was in the Ark of the Covenant was the golden jar of manna, Aaron's budded staff, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Hebrews 9, 3, and 4 said, talks about the covenant or the Ark of the Covenant. And he says that this ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. These were the, the three things that were in that box when it was in the wilderness. We can see that here. What's the golden jar of, what's the manna represent? The manna represents the fresh word of God to you every day. The Bible says that they would go out into the wilderness and they would pick up this stuff on the ground and it's a, it's a Hebrew word, manna, which means what is it? That's what the, the word manna was. They were, they, were, they were like, what is this? And I think it's pretty clear, like Jesus tells us that we need to seek God for the daily bread. That every day we get into an encounter with God and sometimes he's showing us something and we're like, what is this? Come on, how many have ever had the Lord speak to you and you're like, what? <laughs> Come on, how many know you're going to have an encounter with God when you meet with him? He wants to meet with you just like he met with Adam and Eve in the garden. This was not Adam and Eve's idea. This was God's idea. And then the next place he said he would meet with them is on the top of the mercy cover. If you could put that back up. It was a, the Ark of the Covenant right there. He said, there, here is where I will meet with you. Exodus 25, 21 and 22, it says, there above the cover between the two cherubim and over the Ark of the Covenant of the Law, I will meet with you. He wants to meet with his people. Come on, aren't you glad? This is his idea, not yours. And what makes this place so special? It's because blood was placed upon the mercy. They call it the mercy seat where God will sit, where God will rest. And there I will meet with you. But that was also the place where the blood of the animals was shed and sprinkled upon that altar, which represents that there's no safe meeting place with God outside of a blood sacrifice. 
Come on, how many glad God wants to meet with you? So prior to Solomon's temple, this, this tabernacle, it was a movable temple. And in the Ark of the Covenant, when it was in the wilderness, when it was in the tabernacle, when it was in the temple of skin, all these things were represented. They had the jar of manna. And then the other thing they had was the budded staff of Aaron. Now, if you want to know that story, people were questioning who's supposed to be in charge. And what did, what did God say? Well, let's see who has the most education. Let's see who has the most experience. Let's see who has the most money. We'll put them in charge. How many know God doesn't always work like that? I'm not opposed to education or edumacation. I'm not opposed to them. I'm not opposed to people have. God's not opposed to people having money. You know, Job was the richest man in the Bible. I mean, he was filthy rich. He lost it all, but he got double back. That's pretty good. So they took the staves, the, the walking sticks of all 12 heads of the tribes. They put them in the tabernacle. And the next day they walked in and the one that budded, the one that was miraculous with some fruit was the one they chose to be in leadership. You see, when we walk in a temple of skin, just like we do in the tabernacle, we're a movable temple. We're receiving fresh revelation from God every day. Come on, how many have experienced fresh revelation before? Yeah. Whoa, it's so good. I don't know, you, have you ever eaten day-old donuts? Doesn't matter what flavor it is, it's, it's just, it's okay. But when it's a fresh donut, it doesn't matter what flavor it is. It's just fresh. And you put some Hershey's chocolate syrup on the top. You, you, you knew I was going there. Man, our, we're probably all in a sugar high anyway. So we have this, but this tabernacle transformed from a temple of skin till in the time of David and Solomon, it then became no longer a temple of skin, but a temple of stone. So follow me on this. There's a picture of, of the, the sec, I'll, I'll show you the second temple. When we, we talk about the temple, you see that tabernacle soon became this massive, beautiful temple. David and Solomon built it. It was destroyed. Then Nehemiah and Ezra came and they rebuilt it. And then it turned in to the second temple that was created by this man named Herod the Great. But when the Ark of the Covenant was in the temple of stone, let me read this for you. You got to put on your pew belt because this is deep. First Kings 6, 8, 6 says, when the priest brought the Ark of the Lord's Covenant into the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, they put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. Verse 9, this is what I want you to catch. There was nothing in the Ark except the two stone tablets that Moses had placed in it at Horeb where the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites when they came out of Egypt. So what's missing? The budded staff and the manna. And what the Lord showed me is that when the presence, the symbolic presence of God is placed in a temple of skin, 
versus when it's placed in a temple of stone. When we see ourselves as a temple of skin versus when we see ourselves as a temple of stone, what does the law represent? What do the stone tablets represent? Represents the laws of God, uh, obedience to God, setting ourselves apart. You know, one of the reasons I went back to seminary is because I was tired of Christians saying that the law is bad. The Bible says the law is good. If you don't have laws in your life, and this is, I'm not talking about ceremonial laws, I'm talking about moral laws. I mean, know we have a pretty lawless church out there. Are you guys in America? Have you seen some of the stuff that they're allowing in the church right now? Oh, brother, we're just open-minded here. No, your brain has fallen out. You have lost it all. Like, we need to be a people that honor God's laws, his moral laws. Oh, we're under grace now. It's, we've, even the Jews in the Old Testament were under grace. We're just under greater grace. That means we have a higher responsibility now. We're not just talking about sins of commission. Now we're talking about sins of omission. Jesus said, don't commit adultery. The Old Testament says don't commit adultery, but Jesus says don't even lust after another woman in your heart. Does it sound like we're going to get away with more? No. We have the authority and power. Sin is conquered in our life. Sin is a power, not an action. Sin will be conquered through the spirit of Jesus Christ in our life. It's a power. It's like you just no longer operates in you because Jesus is in you. The power of Jesus short-circuits sin in your life. I always like to say Jesus is like chocolate. So I had a friend that, that worked at an ice cream factory. And he said, Chris, it was so cool because we would mess up the, the butter pecan or we would mess up the vanilla or we would mess up the, the you know, the butter cake cream, puff, ice cream, whatever it was. We mess it up. And you know what our manager told us to do? Dump chocolate into it. And it'll be awesome. Because chocolate overpowers every other flavor and no one will ever know. You and I are like messed up ice cream that God said, I know what to do with that. We're just going to dump Jesus into you because he will overpower all the other garbage in your life. Amen. Man, don't you feel like we need to have like an ice cream Sunday bar today? Yeah. I mean, I'm just telling, I just feel like, like line us up, like just dump it in a trough and we'll just like dive into it. Pull me out when I'm done. I mean, I'm ready for something today. Come on, he's good. So let me tell you about the temple of stone when it only has, but we can't be a people that just based on rules. Like neither am I saying like I've seen this. The church becomes this place that it's just about rules. We're just about following rules. And that's not what the church is meant to be. The church is a place of empowerment for God's people. The church is the place where we get to walk like Jesus walks. We get to raise the dead and heal the sick and cast out demons. 
We get to see breakthrough financially, emotionally, people's lives. We get to be medicine to the sick. We get to be soaked to the dirty. We get to throw ourselves at things that people aren't willing to go after. Why? Because we have the authority. We have the daily encounter with God. We have the miraculous authority that is represented by Aaron's budded staff. We walk with that. So what happens when, it, when the church becomes a temple of stone? There's five things I want to point out. Number one, it's stationary. We can put up there, there there's a list there. It's a, it's a stationary, uh, there's a list of five things here. Here we go, thank you. That the church, when it's a temple of stone, it's stationary, it's not moving. And a lot of people... They see the church as a building and a time instead of themselves as the church. We're called to go out into the community because we are the church. Wherever two or three gather in his name, we bring the church with us. But when people see the church as just this building, it's stationary. It doesn't have, it's, 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 it's a temple of stone and not a temple of skin. It becomes cere- ceremonial. It becomes ceremonial. It becomes a place where you have to go instead of a place you should be. It becomes, there's a temptation to be traditional. We get stuck in these, like this is the way we have to do things. When God can be into the new thing and we miss it. You know, the Catholic Mass was created in 600 A.D. and it was a great service one time. And what they've done is they've just repeated this this ceremony, this same tradition for the last 1,400 years. But come on, some Pentecostal churches get like that too. Some spirit-filled churches, they get stuck in their tradition. Sister so-and-so then has a prophetic word at this time, and then brother elder over there has a speaks in tongues, and, and then so-and-sister comes to the altar, and that's like their service every week. Come on, how many have been there? I've been there. I have been there. I've seen it. I'm like, tradition. You know, I don't think God's in this. But then also the authority becomes the building. I can tell you, Gateway Church, we don't care about our building. People say, oh, you should build. I'll do more services before I'll build because I don't want to minister to drywall and grass. Because I'm not very good with drywall. The whole idea is this, guys. The authority becomes in the building. The building becomes an idol. And we don't want to go there. Though I believe it's great to have a place where we can come and meet. But we keep things in perspective. Are you guys with me so far? All right. I'm going to try to land this plane in 15 minutes because I'm not done yet. All right. Because we haven't got this done yet. You ready? So what we need to do is we need to be, we need to see that we need to bring out the old and the new. We need to stir up some things from our past. But we also have to step into what God is doing in this next new season. Now, when we talk about the temple of skin, remember when Jesus, when Jesus walked to the planet, the reason Jesus was crucified is because he made this statement. What was, what was Jesus' statement that got him crucified? Does anybody know? He talked bad about the temple. You can tell bad about my mama. 
You can talk bad about my grandma, but don't you talk bad about my temple. Hmm? That's why they killed Jesus. That's why they killed Stephen, the first martyr. They killed him because he talked bad about the temple. Read it in Acts chapter 7. They would, they would gnash their teeth. How dare you talk about our system? How dare you talk about our temple? There was an anger and rage that came over the religious people of that time because they become so accustomed to their temple in their way, and God was about to change it. We don't want to make their same mistake. God's changing things in this season. How many know that? We don't want to make the same mistake and resist what God's doing. So Jesus says this in John 2.19, destroy this temple and I will raise it up again in three days. Destroy this temple and I will raise it up again in three days. And then the religious leaders of that time, they said, it has taken 46 years to build the temple and you are going to raise it in three days? Now, what did they do? They took this statement literally. They thought Jesus was going to be the next terrorist that was going to blow the temple up. Oh, we're not going to let you do that, Jesus. But how many know Jesus wasn't talking about the temple of stone? He was talking about his temple. Interestingly, they said it took us 46 years to build this. Did you know each cell in the human body has 23 pairs of chromosomes? 46 total chromosomes. If you could put that next slide up. Nope. Each cell in the human body has 23 pairs of chromosomes, 46 total chromosomes. What did they say? It took us 46 years to build this temple. He goes on to say, half come from the mother, the other half come from the father. Females have two X chromosomes. Males have an X and a Y chromosome. By the way, that never changes. Put me in a dress. I'm still got an X and a Y chromosome, put makeup on me, cut a body part off me, guess what? That doesn't change. Your cells do not change. You're forever a man or a woman. They'll dig up your dead body 10,000 years from now, and they will say, you are a man or a woman because of this. 23 chromosomes, two sets of 23 makes 46. Was that prophetic? Jesus was not talking about a temple of stone. He was talking about his body is the temple. He says, you destroy this. You crucify me, but you put me in the graves, and I will rise again. That's what he was talking about. You see, there's a danger. Sometimes when we, we hear the voice of Jesus, we hear these things. What are you saying, Lord? And we may take some things literally, like the book of Revelation. We can take some things literally that they're not meant to be taken literally. Jesus was talking prophetically about the temple of skin that was coming to planet Earth. There was originally a tabernacle, a temple of skin, but it got turned into a temple of stone. And it lost the authority, of the, it lost the miraculous authority, and it lost the, the fresh daily encounter. But now God's saying, we're going back to a temple of skin. That's us. 
So that you know, now that we're talking about DNA and chromosomes, come on, I want to put this up. This will blow everyone. There, when we look, you can put up the picture of the DNA. That each cell, what we have here, this is your DNA. There's bridges that keep your DNA together. They hold the DNA. Remember we said there's two sets of 23 chromosomes. These bridges actually keep your DNA together. And interestingly enough, they come in patterns. It's a repetitive pattern of 10, then 5, then 6, then 5, then 10, then 5, then 6, then 5. Put up the chart in Hebrew. If you look at the numbers of the Hebrew letters, a 10, a 5, a 6, and a 5. Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey, which is the name of God in the Bible. How many know your DNA is important? We don't want anything put into our body to change our DNA. We got to protect our DNA. The name of God is imprinted in our DNA. So the last and final place that, G, that we are called to meet with God. Remember I said God wants to meet with you. How many glad God wants to meet with you? All right? That was okay for a Methodist church. How many are glad that God wants to meet with you? Come on. Woo! Yes. And on a daily basis, he wants to meet with you. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to give you something that you go, whoa, what is this? Whoa, that's good. I'll make a manna burger out of that one or maybe some banana bread or something. I don't know. This stuff's really good. But we're tasting it. We're experiencing it. That's what God wants to do for us every day. He met with Adam and Eve in the garden. Then he met with the people of Israel on the atonement cover, on the mercy seat. There I will meet with you. But today we meet with God in the person of Jesus Christ. That's who we meet with. And know what I love is when the Bible talks about Jesus, it actually says that Jesus is the mercy seat of today. Come on. We carry around the presence of God. The ark of God represents the presence, but the presence of God, we cannot have it unless we have the person of Jesus over top of us as the atonement cover over our lives. Come on, how many know you're covered? Right? Come on. Marty, would you stand up for a second? Come on, Marty, stand up. This is Marty Crick. I love you, Marty. She is is the, the woman of the house, the queen of the house. We love you. She's been here probably longer than anybody else, but she comes faithfully to prayer every Sunday morning. And what do you tell me every Sunday morning? What do you say, Marty? Come on. Thank you, Marty. I love you. Let's give it up for Marty. Woo! Every morning. Got you covered, Pastor. Thank you, Jesus. So we are covered by Jesus. And you'll see this in 1 John 2. It says he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. He is that, uh, he is that uh, it's, a, it's a Greek word, I'm not going to pronounce it, but he is the mercy cover, the atonement cover for you and I. We walk under that covering of the blood of Jesus. That's why daily, I encourage you, make these declarations, because you're declaring first and foremost 
The blood of Jesus over my life. Go ahead and say that. The blood of Jesus over your life. Do we have, if, if you're doing the decorations, how many of you have done the decorations and you feel the difference when you're doing them in your life? Daily, you're feeling, I feel something, I feel covered. And there's other decorations. It's not the shame, but I know others, other decorations. But the importance of covering yourself first and foremost in the blood of Jesus. And then we take authority over some nasty stuff. But strangely, we find that once the ark was moved back into the temple of stone, no longer a temple of skin, that what was missing was that miraculous power. What was missing was that daily encounter. This is what God's doing in 2024 is restoring the church back to a temple of skin model. Let me put up those five things. Number one, and we're closing. Everybody say, thank God he's closing. Here we go. All right. The five things, can we put those up? Number one, the church is going mobile. Miracles only happen in God's house, and that's it. We don't pray for sinners because, no. Like, I prophesy to sinners all the time. I pray for sinners all the time. I pray for them to be healed. I pray for them to get a word from God. I love seeing them get an encounter with God. The church needs to go mobile. I mean, it's so great. I mean, remember when Wi-Fi was created? Like, we could, we could just go free before we had to, like, stay at home with our computers plugged into a wall. You know, now we're free. Like, we're going to churches going wireless. Amen? Yeah. We're still connected in, but we're connected in where we're not <laughs> in chains to a building. Amen? Number two, it's a personal place. The church is a temple made of people. Jesus said, where two or three gather in my name, I am with them. So every time you gather, it's church. It's a place you carry versus a place that you go. And number, these last two things I want you to catch. It's a place of fresh revelation. I declare this over my life every day that I'll receive fresh revelation and understanding of God's word. I declare that over my life because I need that. And God speaks to me. There's fresh manna, fresh revelation for you. And also, last but not least, it's a place of recognized authority. Can I tell you that just because I have a microphone and a title doesn't mean I have more of Jesus than you do. Just because I have an education, I have some training and experience, I would love to see every person in this place healing the sick, raising the dead, teaching the stupid, teaching, bringing counsel. No, that's not the right thing to say. Counseling those who need counsel, bringing life and strength, breaking lies off people. I would love to see every person in here doing that. And it's possible for everyone. You need to discover what God's called you to do. And you need to walk in that authority and that power because Jesus has given you authority. Not just me. He's given authority to everyone. Everyone who believes Jesus is in you. The same Jesus that's in me is the same Jesus that's in you. The problem with the church is they've separated these people on stage that we have clergy, we're clergy, and you're laity. Let's all say that together. Clergy, laity. Laity actually means stupid or foolish one. If you go back to the original text. And clergy, I think, is some kind of disease that people catch. <laughs> so there's no such thing as a separation between clergy and laity. We all 
can walk in the authority and power of God. I'm just an equipper. I'm just training you to do the works of God. That's my goal, is to equip you and train you to do the work of the ministry. So how many are grateful that we are a temple of skin and not a temple of stone? How many see that's the difference we need to walk in? Let's stand together. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's give God a shout of praise. Isn't that good? One last thing, one last thing. Can we go one more? One more, here we go. Now, how many know that in the Bible, there's a third temple that's prophesied? If you study the Bible, it's in, it's in Ezekiel, chapter 40 through 47. Talks about a, a tap, talks about a temple that's yet to be built that has never been built yet. And it's this temple that's described where the waters will come in, they'll go up to your knees and to your waist and eventually carry you away. But I, I think I have a picture of that temple. And this is... This is how someone has, has diagrammed it. But the interesting thing about this third temple, it looks like somebody laying down, doesn't it? It looks like a person. And it looks like a cross. And I believe we don't have to wait for a third temple to be built in Jerusalem. I believe that you and I are the third temple. Acts 17, 24 says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples made by human hands. Come on, would you stretch your hands out to the Lord? Let me pray for you. Lord, I just thank you today. We are your temple. We are your dwelling place. And so I thank you that you've created us to carry your Holy Spirit. I thank you today, Father, that you breathe afresh upon your temple. Holy Spirit, come right now over every person in this place. Unite us for what's ahead. Unite us for what we're called to do. I thank you for that. That the Ark of the Covenant in us carries your word carries your truth, Lord, this morning, the areas of our life that we've rejected in your word, give us. Give us a hatred towards sin, a grieving toward those things that are wrong. Lord, we want to be marked by you, Lord, in this coming season. We turn from our sin. We turn to you today. God, I thank you today for the fresh encounters that you're giving us in that jar of manna, Lord, I thank you for the fresh encounters. And God, I thank you for the authority of your staff that is budded, that is fruitful, that I carry in my life. And I walk in it, that authority to bring the gospel, to bring the power, just like Moses released the people of Israel from Pharaoh through signs and wonders. Do it again, Lord, in my life. We just thank you, Lord. Thank you for the anointing. Thank you for the anointing. Come on, just thank him. Thank you for the anointing. Thank you for the anointing. The anointing is here. The anointing is here. The anointing is here. This morning, we thank you for that anointing. If you're feeling something on your body this morning, you're feeling the presence, just invite you just to, let's gather up front just for a few moments. I feel like God wants to do something more this morning. I'm going to have some of our prayer team come on up at this time too, just to pray over people. Release his, his goodness, his anointing.
pray for one another. God, I thank you for the anointing that's flowing in this place this morning. We thank you for fresh fire. If there's anything you need to repent of, just take it before God and say, Lord, forgive me right now in the name of Jesus. Those of you in your, those of you in your seats, just whatever, but God, just say, Lord, cut off what needs to be cut off today. And I want you to begin to say, I'm going to walk in the authority and power of Christ on my life. God, I thank you for fresh fire, fresh fire in my life today, God, in the name of Jesus. Uh, God, I thank you for new things, God, being released in my life today, God, in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you that I am a temple of your Holy Spirit. Thank you that I'm a temple of skin, God, that you've created for me to walk in, God. We thank you for breakthrough, God. We thank you for the shift right now, God. Thank you that you're shifting things in my life, God, right now. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank, thank you for you, listening God. to Gateway Church's Sermon of the Week with Senior Pastor Chris Monahan. For more resources, go to www.igateway.org. As a four-year-old, my grandmother cross-dressed me in a purple chiffon dress she made for me because she thought I looked cute as a girl. When you put a young four-year-old boy in a dress, you are causing psychological and emotional child abuse. It's child abuse. It is not benign. I'm talking about this over 77 years later. If it was benign, I wouldn't be stuck standing here tonight talking about the horrors of what happened. It ruined my life. For the first 50 years, I struggled because of that purple dress, because I was physically abused, and because I was sexually abused. But I found Jesus Christ. The Bible itself has over 40,000 names of persons, of places. And what I've done is I've taken the 3,250 different names in the Bible and I've placed their meaning right next to the actual proper name in the scriptures. And it's called the Name Translation Bible. We look forward to you going deeper into the Word of God through the Name Translation Bible. God bless. Hey everyone, I want to give you a quick update on a new resource that is available through Gateway Church. This book is called Names Will Tell. And this is a book that has over 9,000 names in it and the meanings of those names. Many people in America do not realize that their name is connected to a meaning. And what we have done, uh, Sue Knox Eason has gone through my assistant and written out over 9,000 names and their meanings. We've gone ahead and also included scriptures with them and encouraging words that, that can be applied to the name. And we use uh, the name meanings when we evangelize, when we prophesy over people. And we have been seeing such fruit by doing this. And we want to help you 
in your journey of winning people to Jesus. And so order a copy of Names Will Tell today. Um, it's available at Amazon, hard, uh, softback copy or, or paperback, however you want to say it, or digital copy. Um, order your copy today. God bless.